I, there's no introduction needed, to be honest. Welcome to the Neil and Niall podcast. We've got an incredible guest today. How other than to introduce him with the strongest man on the whole planet, Mr. Eddie Hall. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Oh, mate, it's very a, welcome. It's a pleasure. How's things? Yeah, good. Busy. Good. Sore. Very sore. You've been, you're into the content game now, I see. It's kind uh, yeah, of yeah. shifted a little bit. This it is, it a, is, mate. Yeah, you know... Um, Started doing YouTube for like sort of four or five months ago. I've been doing my own thing, and then I thought, you know, I'll start collabing with other people. Um, and the weekend consisted of literally spending the best part of eight hours in Budgie Smugglers, running around a lake with Ross Edgley and <laughs> crawling through <laughs> mud. It's and those moments you start to just contemplate, you know, that this probably I'm going to go back to lifting heavy things yeah, now. Yeah, I'd rather just go and win the world's strongest man again and <laughs> spend a day with Ross Edgley. It's, <laughs> it's completely nuts, isn't it? Yeah, yes. he's, he's mental. And is, is Ross Edgley's uh, training as intense as he is when he's when you were there? I mean, he's an, he's an amazing bloke. We've had him in, the, in here and he's just absolutely incredible. But I, I imagine that when you're training with Ross Edgley, it's um, a sight to behold or something. I bet it's just completely intense. Isn't I've it? just never met a man with so much energy. Yeah, you know, yeah, just just unreal. Uh, you know, I've done days where I took him in the gym with me. I've been swimming with him, and also I did that day swimming in an ice lake, did assault courses, and whatever else. And I just can't wait to get away from him. To be honest, <laughs> yeah. it's just it's just too much. Yeah, really. You know, See, I'm the opposite. I was like, I I was infected by the energy. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. He, he, maybe maybe if I'm in an ice lake, I might change yeah, my mind. I, you know what I mean? Yeah, I love Rasta bits, but he drains me. You know, <laughs> I, I can I can manage him a day at a time. That's yeah, about yeah. it. What a lovely bloke. <laughs> did you find yourself when you were training, we're going to come on to your training and things, did you find yourself when you were training with Ross, it was different to the weights and things? Were you using that old that old statement, you use different muscles? Did you find that with Ross doing this? Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, the swimming I'm used to, but, you know, the, the, the sort of running around and going through the assault courses, you know, like me abductors are something you never really train and bits of like, the back of my shoulders are sore, under my armpits are sore, you know, it's it, it's all muscles and areas you'd never normally use. And, yeah. and this is what Ross does as, a, as fun, basically. Yeah. Well, I think it'd be a great photo, uh, yourself, Ross and Niall, all in budgie smugglers. I think that would be an interesting photograph. Is, is, it is, open, you... is Ross messing it up and invite Dad, if you want to come down and do some ice, ice lakes with me? Uh, I think I'm busy. I'll just leave that, I'll just leave that to, to you too. Well, on to that, you know, but... The, the, the audience listening, we're going to make a YouTube video today. Mm-hmm. There's going to be muscles that are going to be hurting tomorrow, hopefully, that you've never even realised you had before. That's another one of what I found gymnastics does. You know, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Just, it, it, it completely uses the body in a way that it's, it's kind of not meant to be used. So we've got something very exciting coming. The, the, the vlog's going to be out this week. Um, so make sure you check it out. I want to get the world's strongest man to do a backflip. Wow! Wow! And you, you, you are talking about um, Eddie, not me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you've already done the back. Oh right, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we've achieved nothing. We've achieved that. All right. <laughs> so um, Eddie, would it, would it be like uh, be really nice to hear a bit about yourself? Because um, I was doing a bit, and you know, Niall says to me, or he always says this to me. He says, uh, you know, whoever's coming on the podcast, do some research, uh, Dad. And I have been obsessed researching you uh-huh. like you know on your youtube and all the stuff you've achieved because you you are in and we'll talk about it a bit more you are the epitome in my opinion of impossible to inevitable mm. right and we can talk about what that means but if we take you back to the start because um you used to be an, an amazing swimmer didn't you swimming was your thing 
in the early years? I was, I, I was, yeah. So, I mean, back in the day, I, I'm the youngest of th three brothers. Right. So, you know, I've got an older brother, a middle brother. They're all a year and a half between all of us. Um, middle brother James, eldest brother Alex. And growing up, I don't know if you've got brothers and sisters and whatever, but growing up with siblings, I think it's just a constant competition, you know? Yeah. And I think with three boys, it was even worse. And we were very boisterous, very aggressive, very violent, very naughty, very mischievous. Everything was who could get in the most trouble, basically. You know, if we'd be, if mum and dad put food on the table, it'd be who can eat it the quickest? <laughs> Walking to school, who can get there the fastest? And then even at home, it's like, right, who's the hardest? Right, let's get outside and find out. Right, really? So we yeah. would we would literally be fighting each other in the street on almost a daily basis. You know, one, two of us would be fighting, one would be refereeing, and then we swap over. And we would go at each other. You know, we would break each other's eye sockets, we'd break each other's noses. <laughs> Oh, we, wow. We'd come after each other with shovel and spades. We Honestly, <laughs> the, the neighbours on our on Alana Crescent in the Westlands, very sorry, would absolutely hate us. Right. They, they did absolutely hate us. We were the talk of the town, definitely. And um, my mum was actually a swimming teacher, so she, she chucked all of us into a swimming pool. You know, as soon as we were able to swim, we were swimming. And I think age five, uh, I was training 20 hours a week in a swimming club. Wow. at five years old and coming home from training sessions I couldn't bear that my brothers were faster than me it was like yeah I couldn't deal with it like, I'd rather jump in a lake and drown myself than have my two two older brothers beating me at something so I had to get better you know come home speak to my mum and dad how do I get better what can I eat what can I do and I, I, I would commit myself even at five years old of how to be a better athlete just naturally. Just, just naturally. Instinct. Just got that yeah. instinct to be the best. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I surpassed my brothers very quickly. Right. You know, the, the, I just, you know, the training sessions just became more vigorous. I put more hours in. I ate the right things. I stretched. I did the foam roller and I did everything. Age 10, I won the national championships. So I was the best in the country for my age. And I think it was three of, three of the five events in freestyle. Um, and then age 11, I won all the events. I won from 50 meters right the way up to 1500 meters freestyle. Got oh, gold wow. medals in all of them. Um, set British records. Uh, I think one of the best ones I ever did was, I think you obviously heard of Mark Foster. Yeah, yeah. So he was the world record holder in the 50 meters freestyle. And I was, you know, hitting times that he was doing at my at his age when I, when I was his age. Right, I was smashing yeah. his, his record. So... It was uh, it was like a constant competition in my life because when I was younger, as my brothers were my competitive monsters. When I got into swimming, the Mark Fosters, the Ian Forbes, the, the, the Michael Phelps, they became my competitive monsters. And then obviously when the swimming, and we could talk about that a bit later, but when the swimming went to crap, um, I got into bodybuilding and then the greats of the bodybuilding become my competitive monsters. You know, the right. Phil Heaps, the Jay Cutlers, the Arnold Schwarzeneggers. Yeah. And then when I get into strongman, the, the greats of the strongman become my competitive big brothers. You know, the Brian Shaws, the half Orba Johnsons, the Sejuna Sivikases. So my, my whole life has basically consisted of trying to beat my subconscious big brothers all the way through my life. Right. And, and it's a fascinating statement. So what do you mean by competitive monsters? Is that something that you've, you've kind of come up with? Competitive monsters, is that an inspiration, a drive, gives you determination? So so for me, you, you get certain people in life, you get people that, you know, 
And I'm not slating anybody. You get certain people that are just happy living nine to five, going to work, take the kids to school, do the shopping. They're yeah. happy with that. And then you get another level of people that do a bit of hobby, you know, do a bit of fishing, swimming, whatever. And then you get another level of people that will work and they'll do elite sports, you know, and they will put their, literally, you've got to think of it like this. You've got people that will work a full-time job and then do another full-time job doing sports. Yeah. And I've yeah. always been one of those one of those people. And there are loads of people like that around the world. And those are the people that I enjoyed competing with in right. the swimming, in the bodybuilding, in the strongman. And I call those people competitive monsters. Yeah. It's either you've got it or you haven't. Yeah. Okay, nice. And and the, um, sorry, Niall, I'm, I'm asking no, a lot of questions. Uh, so, so just just to take you back to the swimming, you, you did compete for the country, yeah? You competed nationally. Um, uh, I swam, I remember I swam for the England squad. Right. Jeez. I'm going to say when I was like 12, 13 years of age, um, I was on the world-class potential squad. So that's basically where you are government-funded. You're given a bit, you know, a chunk of money. You, yeah. All you, your swimming's paid for. You've got a nutritional coach. you get gym coach. you get everything handed to you. Yeah, but yeah, this yeah. is, you're not, you know, I'm not, I wasn't an adult. I was an 11-year-old kid. Yeah. And I was yeah. a professional athlete at 11 years old. Mm. And that's where, for me, it became quite military. Mm. And I actually began to hate the sport because it became militarized. It went from me having fun, just me and my coach, having fun, just training, winning gold medals, breaking British, British records, having this, this the, the goal for me at that age was to win an Olympic gold medal at the Olympics. That was my goal. And it just, when all this military precision came in with the GB squad, it just ruined it for me. Okay. I wasn't having fun anymore. It, was mm. a, it became a job. And at 11 years old, I'm afraid it's just, it's not good enough. Yeah, yeah. That, that resonates with you and I, doesn't it? So so by the time Niall was 11, you'd been in the sport six years on a similar scheme, a funded scheme. It sounds scheme, like a it? similar story, you know, the, yeah. to my flight path to, to where I am in, in elite gymnastics. But yeah. I, I always, I've had periods of ups and downs. It's so interesting when you talk about the competitiveness and we'll, we'll move on that. But I, I've always tried to keep the fun in it. And and to be honest, the more the more and more I look into the athletes that that make it to the top, there's there's this like there's this weird I don't know how you feel about this, um, but there's this weird consensus is in their lives they don't take it too seriously. You know, like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm even watching uh, someone that springs to mind, Usain Bolt. He's a he's a brilliant example of that. Like he's the fastest man on the planet, and yeah. he's he's got all of this pressure of endorsements of the fame and blah blah blah. And he's like, you can't take it seriously. Mm. I'm just running. I'm just running. I, li I like racing. And I, and I think I've always tried to keep a, a segment of that in my gymnastics. I go to the gym every day to enjoy what I do because I yeah. love it. Yeah. Not because it's my job and I, and I need to win. That is innate in me, the competitor. I'm, I'm exactly like you, I think. Um, um, but having fun, and I assume you found that with the strong man in, the, in a way. Yeah, I mean... the, the well, for you, was it about winning? It's always been about winning. Yeah. It has always been about That's winning. It's, it's like it. I mean, the swimming was all about winning, you know, uh, and give you a little bit of background on myself is when I was 13 years of age, I began to suffer with uh, really bad anxiety attacks. It just came out of nowhere. Just couldn't control it. Just some sort of chemical imbalance. I don't know what it was. And on the back of that, depression kicked in. And I ended up... This is at 13 years old. This is at 13 years wow. of age. And the anxiety affected my appetite heavily. Mm. 
So I couldn't eat properly. You know, was it like I get through a bowl of porridge, I get quarter way through, mm-hmm. and you know, I'd, I'd have an anxiety attack and I couldn't eat my food. So I ended up 13, I ended, I think in a year, I lost uh, two stone at 13 years of age. And I was all, all muscle, I had no fat to lose. So it really sort of set me back really highly and depression kicked in. And because of that, I rebelled, you know, so I was expelled from, I mean, I was expelled before from primary school before that, but it's a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, I was expelled from high school at this point. I got chucked off the GB squad just because, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with the authority. Mm-hmm. Um, I managed to get a girl pregnant. I and then at the same time, uh, a family member, my nan, got diagnosed with cancer, and my life just imploded, like completely imploded. Uh, I couldn't leave my bedroom. I was seeing psychiatrists. I was on Prozac for the best part of two years, and it put me in a very, very dark place in my life. And it wasn't until that's why the that's why the swimming sort of fell off. I just completely the anxiety attacks were that bad. I couldn't put my face into into the water anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it was that bad, and that's you know, and that's the world's strongest man saying that. It's, uh, no, it's, it's special. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, that. it's uh, you know it happens, and you, people don't have control over it. And then during that period of being locked in my bedroom for two years and not really leaving the house, uh, an epiphany came to me. I was just reading a bit a bit of autobiography about Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I remember I, I had all these posters on my wall when I was a kid, and it just clicked one day that I'm going to be the next Arnold Schwarzenegger. That was just, that was my, just a click in my head, like bam, got me inspiration back. Let's go, let's go kill life. And I went to the gym and just by chance, I went to the gym and when I came home, I felt better. I got that sense of euphoria, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that anxiety went away just for a little bit. I felt good about myself and I kept going to the gym and I kept seeing results and I kept feeling better and better and better. And eventually, you know, I was sort of siphoned off the Prozacs, I stopped seeing my psychiatrist and I became this, I became myself again, I became this boisterous alpha male that just wants to go out, be the biggest, baddest mother F on the planet and dominate life. Yeah. And that set me on my way. And when I got my inspiration back, uh, I, originally I wanted to be a bodybuilder. So I wanted to you know, get on the stage, but I'm afraid being at six foot three, you're too tall. You're never going to beat with the, the the sort of five foot six, five foot seven, you know, Jay Cutler's and Ronnie Coleman's that just dominate the scene. So I trained for that, but because of that, I found out that I had a special talent, and that talent was strength. You know, mm-hmm. at 19 years of age, I realised that I was the strong, one of the strongest men in the country. At 19 years of age, I was I was lifting and pushing figures that the guys were doing on the TV at World's Strongest Man. Yeah, and I yeah. thought, I've got, to, I've got to test the waters here. So I entered my first Strongman contest. And uh, yeah, uh, I think two years later, I won England's Strongest Man. One year after that, I won UK's Strongest Man. One year after that, I was at the World's Strongest Man. So it was a very quick transition of, you know, being this bodybuilder and then it's like, right, okay, I'm going to be the World's Strongest Man now. Off I went chasing another dream. Mm-hmm. So a very sort of firm base on reality of what I can and can't achieve. And I knew I was never going to do well in the bodybuilding. So that's why I went for the, the world's strongest man, because I knew in my heart, no matter what, if you work hard and dedicate yourself to something, it doesn't matter what genetic freaks are out there, you can beat them. Yeah. No, it's, it's so interesting. And I want to go back to the, um, the click in you from the, from the slump, because we talk a, a, lo- a lot about mental health on this podcast. That I've suffered with anxiety and depression last year yeah. and kind of coming out of it now. Um, so I'd, I'd be fascinated to, to hear that story in a little more depth. But the 
I think they're powerful. It sounds you you had that competitive beast in you where you know even when you're talking about Jay Cutler's Ronnie Coleman's like mm. these are the best guys. These are Mister Olympias. Yeah. So even I don't know what state you were at or physically, but you was like I'm deciding now. I'm gonna be not, I'm gonna be Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm not just gonna do bodybuilding and do a show here yeah, and there. Yeah. And like I'm gonna be the best. Mm. Um, but then I, I think it's fascinating to see how you navigate through that and innovated and, and looked on your strengths. Cause I think people, you know, we, we aren't we're definitely not dream crushers, you know, like that, that thing you said about realism. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, the amount of people that told me I would never you know, win an Olympic medal or go to the Olympics, the amount of people that told me I'd never make a penny from YouTube and, mm-hmm. and content. And here I am. So, but there's that, that realism, it's kind of so important to always keep yourself in check. So like I'll go down past that. Look, I'm not going to be a basketballer. I could wake up one day and go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's delusional. It's It's that delusional thought that you think I can do something that is beyond your capability. Yeah. Potentially. That is emotionally, because you still could have it been so emotionally invested in bodybuilding. It's like, no, it's it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you was able to recognize the, spot this and say you know i like lifting heavy things i've got the talent i'm gonna go down this path pretty quickly and you went full steam ahead yeah i think that's fascinating yeah i think i think the fascinating thing as well as we've spoken about it on previous podcasts is that you know uh, depression is a very serious thing i've i've watched it with my own son and anxiety is a very serious thing and i've watched that with niall as well but the the really fascinating thing that you said there because we've spoken about it is how many thoughts away are you from being awesome and brilliant <laughs> how many yeah and it's one in it and it's one and, it, and eddie said it like well he's read something whatever it was it was one thought that thought actually and i'm not saying all right you get one thought you cure depression anxiety that's yeah. just nonsense but so there, that, there, there can be a trigger that starts a movement for you can't it yeah definitely so i wanted to ask that trigger for you mm. um how quickly was the was it still a long process because i assume it's something that you you know, particularly when you're in the place you was, particularly on medication, how long did it take for you when you got the trigger to when you felt like yourself again? Was it quite quick or? Well, I mean, the first thing was going and getting help was the, you know, the biggest dilemma for me mm-hmm. because, you know, I was seen as, I was the popular kid in school. I was the alpha. I was the, the, the you know, and back then I had a real sort of hard man image. Yeah. And that was that Stoke on Trent for you. You know, if you're not a hard man, then you're a, you're a pussy. Yeah, no one wants yeah, to be yeah. a pussy man, you know? Um, so the first step was to go and get help. And that was the toughest bit, you know, admitting to my mum that I'm having these thoughts of killing myself and then, and then these horrendous anxiety attacks. And then of course, you know, that, that gets around the family and it was quite embarrassing at first, but then, and the, and the back, especially back then mental health was just completely just blockaded. Like, oh, he's, oh, he's just, he's just, he's just had a bad day. He's just depressed. Nothing up with him. Yeah. Like, Pull yourself together. Yeah, it's, like, it's not as easy as that. Like, yeah. like I was, li- I had crippling anxiety. Like, mm. I literally, to the point where I'd be in my room and I couldn't leave my bedroom to go and get some food at the fridge. Like, it was crippling. And I think that the, the the flick switch moment for me was reading a little bit of autobiography on Arnold. You know, just little snippets, just in magazines and on the internet. And you know how the, what a tough childhood he had. And Arnold, from what I gather, never suffered with anxiety or depression. And I've spoken to him personally about that. But he had this attitude towards life of, life is life. You get what you're given. It's what you make of it. 
It's mm. what you make out of your life that that defines you. And I just remember reading that and thinking, that's that is completely right. I'm sat here and I'm letting anxiety, I'm letting anxiety take over my life. I'm letting it destroy me. So I just made that decision there and then. It's like, I'm not going to let this destroy me. I'm going to carry on. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do what I want and just get through it. Just mm. work my way through it. And as I say, there's no magic flip switch. You mm. can't just say, I'm not going to be depressed and have anxiety attacks anymore. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. But I put myself in a positive mindset to breed positivity and breed out those negative thoughts and the anxiety attacks. And I'd say, I'm going to say, you know, I was on the Prozacs for two years. I came off the Prozacs at my, on my own. So I made the decision, not the doctor. I said, I'm not taking these anymore. You know, I'm, I'm going to really just try my best just to clear my head. And I think a lot of it was sort of meditation and channeling all my energy into things such as the bodybuilding and, you know, and, and the bo- like little bits of boxing, little bits of swimming, mm. just keeping active. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just that positive mindset. And I, I learned that from Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's like, you can't give up. If you give up, I, I always say life is, 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 is like swimming. I know that's quite ironic. <laughs> <laughs> but when I was... Uh, because people, when I tell people that I was a, a national champion swimmer, people look at me and go, no, you effing words. Like, look at you, too yeah, big. Jump well, in the pool and yes. sink to the bottom. So they're like, how did you get into yeah. swimming? And I didn't have a clue. So I asked my mom, so how did I get into swimming? And uh, the story goes, when I was two years old, I was in a, a swimming pool in Portugal. The youngest there, I was, uh, and obviously couldn't swim, kept jumping in the pool. And mum, dad or brothers, somebody would have to keep fishing me out the whole holiday. All the, you know, I kept drowning. People wouldn't have to push me out. After about the thousandth time, my mum just stood at the end of the pool, looked at me and said, go F yourself, sink or swim. And I swam. Right. <laughs> two years old. Two years old, and I swam. And I think that so defined me. Swim then. Yeah. That defined me for the rest of my life. And that was a good philosophy that I sort of stood by when I got into my teenage years is, You've got to make that decision. You know, you either sink and dwell, and you blame the world, and you're like, oh, it's 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 the world's fault. I've got anxiety. It's the world's fault. I'm depressed. It's that teacher's fault. I'm, I'm not doing well at school. It's that coach's fault. I got chipped out the squad. It's that girl's fault that I got her pregnant. You sink and you dwell and you become depressed and you make yourself worse, or you swim and you set goals and you you step forward and you move forward in life. So you do two things: you sink or you swim. And you've got to pick one. If you pick the sink, you're going backwards and you're going to, you're going to yeah. be in a very dark, horrible place. If you swim, you push forward, you set goals. I'm going to be Mr. Olympia. I'm going to be the world's strongest man. I'm going to be the, you know, the next big thing in Hollywood. You've got to keep setting those goals to keep moving forward in life. And that's my philosophy now, sink or swim. And obviously you pick the swim. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Um, can I, uh, are you okay keep going? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I just wanted to ask you, uh, ask you a couple of questions. One was, um, you know, when you were thinking about all these things about being world's strongest man, did you have any idea how you were going to do it? I mean, no. I mean, yeah. I, I actually made... I, I remember I remember this as a memory as well. So when I was yeah, like yeah. five, six years old, I remember watching The World's Strongest Man on TV. And obviously right. as a child, you very sort of absorb everything, don't you? Mm. You never forget little moments in life. And I remember watching... World's Strongest Man, and I think it was uh, like a repeat of like Jeff Capes winning the World's Strongest Man. And I said to my mum and dad, there and then, I'm going to be the World's Strongest Man one day. 
literally <laughs> i'm going to be the world's i'm going to be on that yeah. screen competing at world's strongest man one day and they all laughed i remember that i remember them all laughing at me and that stuck with me for the rest of my life because i remember when i got older and i started getting to the bodybuilding and then I got to 19 years of age and I did my very first strongman contest at 19. And I put it on Facebook, I put it on all my social medias. I told my mom, my dad, my brothers, my girlfriend at the time, my friends, I am going to be the world's world strongest man. I am going to be the world's strongest man. Watch this space. I made that commitment at 19 years of age and I was so vocal about it. I was like the Conor McGregor of strongman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was okay. I was that I was the Conor McGregor of strongman, but it's saying things and why, why I love. Conor McGregor is that he, he said all this ludicrous, just ridiculous stuff, yeah. but he backed up his bullshit. Yeah. That's yeah, what yeah. I loved about it. And I, you know, I, I was the Conor McGregor of strongman and still am. Yeah. And do you think from that point, cause, cause you, the, the world strong, you didn't win that till 2017. So that was mm. eight, how many years with that? 10 years. Ten, ten so years. it was pretty much, I worked it out. It was within the month, it was 10 years pretty much to the day wow. that I'd, I'd committed and then won the world's strongest man. And at any point through that journey, were there ever a sliver of doubt? Were you ever like, oh, I'm going to pack this in? Or is it just like, I, I need to? It I was, yeah, to. it was, I mean, quite a sad story really. But when I was 19, my nan uh, died. And on a deathbed, I was the only one there. On a deathbed, I made the commitment that I was going to win the world's strongest man one day. I, literally, as a pulse went, I made that commitment. And when I made that commitment, there was no backing out of it. It was like that was that was me setting my destiny there, and then there was no backing out. I could not let my nan down, mm -hmm. and I don't care how how whatever way there was to do it. I, if there's anything you could do. Or or, or 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 take or whatever I did it you know I had to be the world's strongest man there was no no stone unturned like I did everything I could to make that happen I mean I could talk all day about, <laughs> I just... about what you know what I put myself through and the commitments and the sacrifice and the obsessiveness that I went through to become that yeah. person um but yeah yeah I, that's incredibly emotional that's so so you, you had that you had, I love what you're saying as well about I'm going to be the world's strongest man. It reminds me of Muhammad Ali because he was conditioning himself, but he was conditioning everyone else around him. Wasn't yeah. he? Conor McGregor's brilliant at it because yeah. everyone starts believing him, believing you, believing Muhammad Ali. I, I mean, it's just it's sensational because it's so natural. But you had that emotional attachment to the <laughs> outcome. Um, but just taking you back a little bit, you, you might not remember or you might have the attachment anyway. Um, you, re you referred to the, uh, the success and the outcome as a dream. Mm -hmm. So, so would you say it was a dream or a goal? And you keep calling it a dream. So in terms of dream, what I mean is you pictured yourself with the title and you were driven every day because you had this thought that I will be there. It was definitely a dream. Dream. Definitely yeah. a dream. You know, I think that most successful people in this life are, jo are jokers. Like they have to kid themselves that they are that person before they become that person. Right. I think you'll find that, not in everybody, but you find in most successful people, they're, they're, they're narcissists. They yeah. think a lot of themselves, but not in, gen not in general life. What I mean by that is they're a narcissist in what they want to be. So like I was a narcissist in Strongman. Yeah, yeah. So I would very vocally say, I'm the best Strongman that's ever lived. I'm the strongest Strongman that's ever lived. I will be the world's strongest man. I will lift half a ton off the floor. Yeah, and I I believed my own crap that much that it it came true, and it's like I said to my wife every day. My wife was like, "What you know? 
I was out the house for 18 hours a day training for the world's strongest man. It's like, when's this going to end? Every day for 10 years. When are you going to pack it in? When are you going to pack it in? I'll pack it in when I win the world's strongest man. And that's what I kept saying to her. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, and in, 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 in a way, every time I said it, I was like, is that a load of crap? Is it, you know, I'm a kid in myself. But no, I've got to kid myself. I've got to keep going. Yeah, yeah. You've got to kid yourself. Yeah. Well, thoughts drive beliefs, don't they? Well, it's it's like, like, it, like it, reinforcing. It insane belief, like, and you were manifesting it. It was yeah. like, yeah. I do that a lot personally. Um, picture myself every day achieving the, the, the ultimate dream. So would you say in some little ways, like when you go into these competitions, maybe now, maybe a few years ago, would you walk into competition just thinking and saying to yourself, I'm the best here, and saying it to other people, I'm going to win today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I'm listening to you, me and you are so alike. And that's, what you've, that's what you've got to be like. Yeah, but, like, I, I think asks... it's the, but the removal of the... Because people people wouldn't say that. A lot of people wouldn't say that because the fear of what other people think. That's if, exactly If it. the outcome doesn't come out the way they want but it to... But that's the difference. Then it's embarrassing, but... Yes. Me and you... How many times have we lost and failed along the way? Yeah. Even when we're spitting the, the, yeah. the bullshit. But it's like having that, and McGregor will be the same. It's like the the power of speaking it, if, you, if you've if you got the uh, the courage to speak it. He says it in one of his speeches, like, yeah. and you are willing to put in the work, you you eventually will achieve, will achieve it. Yeah. And, and it's that, I think me and you would, would tell everyone we're the best, we're going to win, but not be crippled. If that outcome doesn't happen, even when we said it was, it, if the it, outcome for me, if the outcome didn't happen, there was a reason, and I know that's an easy thing to say, you know, like yeah. if, if, if like for for one, there was instance, two thousand fifteen. I remember going to Will Strongest Man two thousand fifteen, and I I never said I was going to win that year. I'm just like I'm going to go in, I'm going to come top four, and that's what I did. Yeah. Two thousand sixteen, I said I was going to win the Will Strongest Man. I was adamant. I'd already spent the prize money. <laughs> honest to God I'd already spent the what, prize money literally or mentally no 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 I'd actually spent the prize money before he'd even landed in Africa to compete for the world's strongest man what is the prize money by the way it's not much but <laughs> I spent it um, <laughs> and um, the day before the final I detached the ligaments on my middle finger completely ripped my ligaments off my finger so this hand was literally I couldn't close this hand yeah. at all and I, I, it was the day before world's strongest man started and I went into the contest and I battled through it. I was the third strongest man on the planet, one-handed. And I thought to myself, that was the time, that was like, that. for me, I was proud of that because any other man would have literally packed their bags and gone home. And I know that for a fact. Yeah. I battled through so much pain to come that, get that third place one-handed. And for me, that was a takeaway of, that nobody can beat that. That's when I knew then, that's like from 16 to 17, there's no doubt whatsoever I'm going to win the World's Strongest Man next year. And I and again, I spoke up again, I'm going to win it next year, don't worry about it. This year was a mistake, don't worry about it. And I didn't feel as that as embarrassed because of that injury yeah. for yeah, me. Yeah. But the, and then 17, there was no mistakes. No, nothing was, no, like no stone unturned. 365 days a year, I was obsessed we're becoming the world's strongest man. And there was, I remember saying to myself on that first place spot at Worlds, I remember stood there and thinking to myself, you know what? If I came second, I couldn't be angry. I couldn't be angry with myself because I gave it everything yeah. I, I gave. I couldn't say, oh, well, I came second because I missed a meal. 
a month ago or I missed a training session six months ago. I couldn't have said that because I didn't. I was military precision for 365 days a year. Yeah, I, didn't ha- I didn't have one single excuse, not it re- one. It relates to me a lot because obviously I'm, I'm, I'm on this journey to the Tokyo this year. I'm, I'm struggling with injury right now. Mm-hmm. And I think I've, in the, in the whirlwind of, of what happened to me and the explosion with content, the explosion, you know, because I'm a, I'm a little bit of an, I know you won't know about gymnastics much, I'm a little bit of an anomaly in gymnastics, there's no money in it, mm-hmm. it's not the biggest well-known sport on kind of, even on the, the strong, strongman level, it's nowhere near as, as popular, Yeah. and um, with the things that I've decided to do and the content that I've created and the, the waves that I've made, it kind of set me off on this journey that I'd, I'd and I think that's part of the the, the massive struggle I had with anxiety and, and depression like last year because mm. the, when that the, the neck surgery for me was the tipping point um, I, I didn't know how to cope with feeling this way not understanding it but I'm meant to be a, an inspiration online I'm meant to be an Olympic athlete and <coughs> that disconnect yeah. between the external everyone telling you oh, you should be well happy you mm. should be you know look up look at what you're doing look what you've done to the disconnect internally I'm crippled with anxiety as well I don't know why yeah Um, but now this year I feel like I've I'm ready to make that commitment even though physically you know the outcome might not turn out the way I want but you're gonna feel better in yourself yeah having even come second at the Olympics not even made the Olympics if I've committed everything that I can and I'm like committed to the process yes and like you said, no stone unturned. Yeah. No regret. I, I think that's it, mate. If you if you give it everything you've got, whether you go out there and come first, second, third, or last. Yeah. If you give it everything you've got, no mistakes, no stone unturned, then then how can you be angry? With that's yourself? internal pride. And, yeah, yeah. And, of course and it is. Fulfillment. In my oh yeah, eyes. but being the best that you can be on a given day sometimes doesn't necessarily mean the best, does yeah. it? Number one. But if you come second, third, fourth, eighth, but you know you've been the best you can be and given the best chance, and that's you can mm. still be proud of your achievement. Definitely. Yeah. You know, because, be, be, you know, Niall and I talk a lot about process, not results, being outcome-focused. Because it's interesting talking to you, you know, about outcome-focused. So outcome-focused is not something Niall and I major on because Niall commits to the process and the result is the result. You give it the best. So you, you don't have that attachment, you know, that real emotional attachment to the Olympic Winning gold medal. You know, because you know what emotional attachment to things, how it affects you from a depression anxiety. Yeah, exactly. I think if it's all about the end points, yeah. you know, the, the medals, the money, yeah. the, it, it's just for me now, I understand it's just a path to loneliness again. Yeah. It's just, and, and it's the same on the other, on the other end, I experienced a lot of, I'd be fascinated to, to know your stories, this, but addictive behavior with, with other things, you know, with yeah. like alcohol and, and gambling and, you know, because when I'm feeling that way, yeah, that's like an escapism. Mm. But I realise now the the search and seek for the the escapism with 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 alcohol, it's just a never ending pit to loneliness. Yeah, and then when you're feeling good, the search and the and journey to to money, fame, you know, uh, a certain outcome, a prize, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a medal. Mm. It's just a never ending journey to loneliness. It, it, in my opinion, from what I've experienced. But with yeah. that with that obsessiveness, you must have had to channel that I know you did channel that into strongman but when mm. it came to things like you know drinking did have you or f- food I must must your relationship with food must be insane <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> I mean I've been quite lucky you know I've not 
uh, I've not had any bad sort of drug habits or anything. I've not not been uh, addicted to alcohol. Um, I would say my main sort of downfall after success is craving that euphoria all the time. You know, like winning the gold medals at swimming was very, very tough for me to sort of see my times creep back, see my body weight come down and watch other people progress. That was really tough for me to watch everyone progress and me sort of stop dead. And then obviously the strongman was fantastic. That kept me busy for 10 years, you know, mm -hmm. chasing that dream of becoming the world's strongest man. And then literally that euphoria, <coughs> the, the, I can't explain the euphoria of being handed that world's strongest man trophy, just unreal. Yeah. I've never felt anything like it. Well, then the following weeks, it was a massive downward spiral. It was like, what, what do I do with my life now? Yeah. And I, I announced it, I was retired. And I'm just like, 10 years of my life, gone, gone. And the anxiety and depression crept back in yeah. very, very quickly. And, th and that, that is recorded in elite sports people yeah. very commonly. Yeah. You know, they reach that pinnacle. And then they, they, I'm sorry to say, you know, everyone's the same. You've got to come back down at some point. Post Olympics, end of yeah. football career, yeah. end of rugby career. I don't know what you know. Whatever you want to say, it's, it's rife, isn't it? The, the, I mean, I, you look to other people for inspiration in some ways, and I actually um, at the time, I remember I was going through a real rough patch, and I looked to Anthony Joshua weirdly, and especially recently, you know, he, he's the the boxing world heavyweight champion. Yeah. And then he lost it to the to the Mexican and uh, Andy Ruiz, and I thought, God, just imagine what's going through his head right now, yeah. like the the complete because you've got shame, embarrassment, and then you've got I mean that's one thing you know because that that's hard as a boxer as an alpha male that's hard to take a world heavyweight boxer being knocked off his pedestal, but then he's got all those dark moments alone you know obviously I, I don't know if he's got a wife or whatever or girlfriend but you know he's got pals around him but. He, he must have been so alone at those, those weeks after being knocked off that pedestal. And I thought, you know what? And then I saw him picking, picking himself back up and obviously he's come back and won his boxing again. He's world heavyweight champion again. And he is actually a big inspiration to me. You know, someone like AJ. Too, yeah. Because it's such highs, such lows. And I think to myself, if he can cope with it, then why can't I cope with it? Yeah. And picking yourself up after winning the Worlds, it was goal setting again. Yeah, yeah. It was like, what next? I did a whole year of sort of Milking it, I would say, is probably the best way. Yeah. You know, doing all the endorsements, the evening yeah. waves, the, the you know seminars and whatever. Did fantastic off that. And then it's like, right, what next? Straight after all in the world, it's probably two weeks after I decided I'm going to get into acting. So uh, I've been doing acting lessons for two years now. I got a TV, two TV agents. And within, I think within, I'm going to say within 18 months of winning the World's Strongest Man, I had two of my own TV shows, Eddie Eats America and The Strongest Man of History. I'm doing a second documentary with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I've got a lead role in a film coming up later this year. I'm going into business with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Wow. Doing, <laughs> doing, the, I'm doing the Arnold Classic at the NEC. There's, there's the clip bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All in business with so I'm doing the, the Arnold Classic at the NEC next year. Can you so, tell us anything about the film? Are you going to be a big like, war hero I mean, knocking film, people yeah, out? The film, as of now, I mean, I've seen bits of like the script and the storyline, but it's still being written. Have you seen Falling Down? Yeah. With Michael Douglas. Yeah, yeah. So Falling Down is like Michael Douglas stuck in traffic and he's like, he's, had, he's, got, a, he's, <laughs> got, a, he's nuts, got a shit life. You know, everything's <laughs> going wrong. He keeps getting bullied and yeah, picked yeah. on. He hates his job. He hates his wife. He hates his kids. He hates yeah. everything. 
And I think it's just a fly just slams on his neck and he squats this fly and that's it. He, the horn's going off and he just gets out of his car and goes on this spree. Yeah. Gets a, managed to get hold of a shotgun baseball bats and just goes on this horrible goes spree. Berserk. It's br- got a rocket launcher as well, it's I think. brilliant, yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> it does a shadow yeah, it's a rocket launcher. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it and um, yeah, so I'm basically doing the UK version of Falling Down oh, uh, as a lead role. So right, that, wow. Yeah, so that, wow, wow. Uh, it should be pretty cool. Well, uh, be think... Real life Mr. Incredibles and you'll be Mr. Incredibles. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good one. That would be pretty cool. Actually, be, yeah. um, you've got a family, you've got kids now? Yeah, I've got a wife and two children, yeah. What, what have you got? Uh, an 11-year-old daughter called Layla and a 7-year-old son called Maximus. Oh, wow, fabulous. And, and were they... Sorry, I can't quite figure out the dates in my head. So were they born while you were in that 10-year journey, were they? Yeah, yeah. So Layla, Layla was born when I was 20. And then I think Max was born when I was 24. Yes, 24. Right, nice. And, so, and, and kind of, you know, I always call it like this, and Niall always laughs at me, but you know, like if you had a pie chart of your life, yeah. I guess the kids are, and the family are a big chunk of it, yeah? And it, do you love that part of your life now? Of course, I mean, yeah. I, yes, of course. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 what I, it's what drove me a lot, you know, right. it's what kept me moving forward. But I will say... Like going for the world's strongest man. Let's say you had a pie chart of like my commitment to strongman, yeah, it was really and then huge. commitment to my family. Yeah. There'd be a tiny sliver to my family, and yeah. the rest was strongman. And then so now like, that's probably changed back around. Yeah. It's still, yeah, it's yeah. still not as much as, as much as it should be. But I'd say probably more quarters family now, and three quarters is is TV and work and stuff like. That, yeah, know, well, so. and the reality is that the chart changes at different yes. times of your life yeah. and different times of year as well. But it's it's amazing. So. Um, Maybe 15 minutes left. I'd just love, love, love to talk about the world record deadlift. Mm. If that's, is that all right yeah, with you sure, now? Absolutely, yeah. When, when you I nearly the, blew yourself point. up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, um, you know, when you talked about the end of the strongman and and now you've you kind of struggled a little bit, went into that, like, post-retirement, yeah. feeling, feeling lost, I assume, a little bit. What do you think it, it is? I know now you've picked picked something else back up and you get jump diving into the content, the TV mm-hmm. and the acting. Um, is there a pattern to, because for me, I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's the, the growth and, the, and the, the learning and the progress for me that I almost need in my life. I don't know whether it's, it's similar for you, whether you pick, <coughs> you pick strong man and then it was like that dedication obsession to <laughs> grow into the best and then it's like, well, that chapter's done and now do you think you'll, you'll dedicate that obsession that you've, it got to acting i think it, it, it's quite weird i don't know if you might um connect with me here but i i enjoy the struggle yeah I mean, that's a weird thing to say i enjoy the struggle i remember the the third i mean obviously i've done the world's strongest man was horrendous like it, to, the thought of doing that again makes me feel ill like the, the obsessiveness the amount of commitment to it into it was unreal that was a struggle yeah and then i've dived into the tv side of things and the, at one point this year, I did night. No, I did seventy days straight doing TV shows with not one day off. My only day off, I had to fly back to London to get my arm seen to because I ripped my bicep off the bone. So my one day off, I had to fly home to, to to see a doctor. The next day, I flew back out to America and did another ninety day stint of TV shows without a day off. And I remember. Towards the end, I was proper head and hands. Like I just, I hadn't seen my family in months. Uh, you know, with the time difference, even FaceTime was hard. Mm. You know, like a minute or two a day because I'm always on set when I'm FaceTiming. And I remember just being head and hands at one point, 
just getting onto a plane to go to another part of America to do another TV show. And I thought, I nearly burst into tears. And I thought, what am I doing with myself? And then I was with, I was with a producer who was on the TV show with me. He's like, you know what, mate? He says, I, I actually enjoy this, the hard times. He says, because you can look back and think, think to yourself, I did that. You know, I enjoy it. I actually enjoyed it. It's made me who I am today. And just as he said that, I just thought back to what I did to become the world's strongest man. And this was nothing in comparison, really. Yeah, yeah. And I did think to myself, as though, even though it's tough, I haven't seen my wife and kids for months and I'm absolutely shattered. I've been living off four hours sleep every day for the last 120 days. But I thought, you know what? It's pretty cool. I mean, I'm actually enjoying the struggle. Even yeah. as tough as it was, I actually enjoyed it. And I think that's, you've got to have that mentality when you get stuck into your training and these, you know, your, your ventures and businesses, you've got to have that mentality of enjoy the struggle because afterwards you will enjoy it even more. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. 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 So the deadlift, where, where, uh, I just, I'm interested to know how much you like put away, how much you eat. Like, did you count your calories? Uh, I mean, now I just eat whatever I want. When I was Will's strongest man, I ate absolutely everything in sight. I mean, 12 and a half hours of calories a day, every single day for wow. probably three years Jesus solid. <laughs> Oh, um, I don't even think I eat that in a week. It was a lot of food. It's like you're eating you every day now. <laughs> it was a lot of food. People, you're into content now. The the YouTube trend is the ten thousand calorie challenge. Eddie was putting it away every day for, for breakfast. Oh, I do. Yeah, honestly, that'd be no problem for me. Ten thousand calories. Day. If I really tried, I mean, at that size, I could do twenty thousand calories in a day. If I, if I really, really went for it, no problem. My body would burn it off because I was just so, I was 32 stone at my biggest. Um, and what it, do you weigh now? Uh, 28. Nice. So I've lost four stone. four stone lighter than I was. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, um, was that, was that the, I must say, can I just say, you, you carry it well. I'm I mean, saying, you look yeah, amazing. You, he's you got abs under there. Yeah, I, you I look mean, awesome. it's tough because when you get to a certain size and strength, you get what, you know, you get core muscles that, stick out it looks like I've got a big belly yeah, yeah. but help yourself you know that is absolutely it's it is it's solid it is solid can I touch it go on go for it good it god is, yeah. that, that is you know, there's out. no fat on there no, no, no. but from from a camera angle you know I'm on the videos it's like, oh he's a fat bastard on, yeah, on YouTube yeah. and whatever I'm not I generally are my body fat's no more than like 23% body fat right, which right. is like an average male you know it's um yeah, I mean, I do hold the weight well, but muscle weighs a lot more than fat. Yeah, and, and, and recently I noticed as well on, on your YouTube stuff, you did a kind of, the, the people were showing three pictures of you, you know, start, middle, end. You'd done mm. a transformation back, hadn't you, to look a, a hell of a lot leaner. Yes. But, but it's like, it's weird, isn't it, thinking you're a hell of a lot leaner at 28 stone versus 32 stone. But you look amazing because you've got all this different definition to when you were yeah. doing your strongman stuff. Yeah, I mean, get, obviously getting up to 32 stone, and I actually did a DEXA scan when I was tw when I was 32 stone, and I was 26% body fat wow. at 32 stone, which is, which is mental, isn't it? It's <laughs> like... Ridiculous. And I looked, I looked humongous. Like, you yeah, put a shirt yeah. on me and trousers, I looked, like, sapheric. Like, literally the, the biggest man on the planet. But I was absolutely solid muscle. Like the stomach was out here, but it was just brick. It yeah, was yeah. it was a power belly, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see, when you work, where do you get your clothes? Because you don't just go to Matalan and buy a shirt. Yeah. Do you? No, I mean, look, you know, I work with Boohoo Man, and they're right. pretty good. You know, they right. go up to five XL, but I think they, they they have to go 
uh, a few more notches Five on for XL. me. You, I think this is a seven XL. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, I'm double XS. So, <laughs> so the deadlift then. Can, can you get, I mean, I watched it over and over. I have watched it over and over the last week. So you, you, just a bit of background about how it came about. Because uh, I've got a couple of questions to ask you on it. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the world record in 2015 was 463 kilos, which yeah. I'd just broken. And I picked it up for a speed rep. And at this point in my career, I was spending £800 a week on my body to become the world's strongest man. So... 250 quid a week on, on, on physio, 250 quid a week on food, 250 quid a week on other recovery methods such as shockwave and chirotherapy yeah, and such yeah. things. I worked out spending £800 a week on my body to become the world's strongest man. And I quit my job, I got a load of savings, sold a business, and but that money was running out quick. So I thought, I need a, I need a quick fix of get some money in the bank so I can buy hot tubs, cold tubs, chirotherapy, hyperbolic chambers. So basically get the full setup at home so I can plant down and win the world's strongest man. Um, so <clears throat> after the show, I pulled 463, I went up to the promoters and I said, how much money would you give me if I were to come back next year and lift half a ton off the floor? And they literally looked at each other and burst out laughing. Like, didn't believe it. Like, Ed, put it there, mate. How much do you want? <laughs> literally, you name the figure. <laughs> really? Like, don't worry about it. You tell the figure. We'll... So I shook the hand. The next, so that was on the weekend. On the Monday, I actually got a pal of mine, and I can't say too much. I got a pal of mine to ring up a betting agency and do a special bet on really? myself. I've got a few pals to do it. <laughs> so can, it was, can I just, sorry to interrupt you, mate. Again, when you said to them, lift five on, did you have any idea how you were going to do it? No. Right. Not fine. Yeah. Not no, it was right. an idea that I It was mean, just an idea. It was, it was for money. It was which to, I imagine then formulated yeah. into a dream or whatever. Yes. But it was yes. just like, I'll do it. I'll say it first. Yes, and then that's it. it say it, it and then work it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you like it that when people say that you know where you're going to do that? Oh, I loved, you, I, know, loved you, yeah. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. So I incentivized myself. I put myself, I got all this money lined up. So when I pulled this deadlift off the floor, I was basically set for life. This is this is yeah. why you know made it happen, and that that was my inspiration to do this lift was to make myself financially in a place where I had no money troubles and I can just compete and become the world's strongest man. Yeah, smart. <laughs> so very, very smart. So I went on this journey of training from four sixty three to five hundred kilos, a thirty seven kilo jump, eight percent on a world record. It's like Usain Bolt knocking zero point seven seconds off his world record. Yeah, it's just unheard of. Yeah. And that's why it became the impossible. That's why people didn't believe it could be done because it was such a huge jump. 37 kilo, put it this way, in the last 40 years at that point, the world record had jumped by a kilo a year in 40, in 40 years. Wow. Right. And I said it was going to break it by 37 kilos in one, in year. one year. So you can imagine the uproar and the people, the negativity and the naysayers and the haters Coming out the woodwork, did Eddie Hall's deluded, he's Did people close to you say it's impossible? Yeah. So, so people close to you were, were like, <laughs> as he's formulating to a dream, we're almost dreaming. Even, and even people that didn't say it wasn't possible, you could tell by their body language and, and the way they yeah, talk yeah. to you. You know, like the promoters. I, every time I saw the promoters, I'm going to pull that 500 kilo on that date, you know, and they're like, yeah, 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 of course you are, Ed. All right, pal, I'll see you next week. <laughs> you know, it was like, it was very patronising, yeah, the yeah, way yeah. people talked to me about it. And I suppose on the journey, uh, probably four months into the journey, I realized that in training, I couldn't, any time I went above 460 in training, I'd, my head would fall off and it would like fail at my knees. So I couldn't get anywhere near the 500 kilo. 
And luckily at this point, I was financially in a very good place. So I had a very good team around me. I had a psychologist, hypnotherapist, scientists, physio, physiotherapists, doctors, blood doctors, nutritionists, you name it, I had it. Yeah. And it was a group of scientists that I was working with doing tests on my body, such as testing my heart, my lung function and everything. They sat me down and said, Ed, it's just not going to be possible because you can't you can't recruit enough muscle fibers. The human body is not strong enough to lift that kind of weight off the floor. You know, a day-to-day person that takes the, the you know, takes the kids to schools, go to work, does the shopping, has access to 50% of the muscle fibers. An elite athlete, someone like me and yourself, that trains 20 plus hours a week, yeah. will have at most access to 70% of their muscle fibers, right? But then you get families and women that have been in car crashes and the kids are trapped under a car and they can physically lift the car up. It's been proven. They can lift the car up and get the kids out from under cars. They can recruit 100% of their muscle fibers through sheer adrenaline release. And it's the fight or flight scenario. Mm. Again, back to the anxiety, right? So I thought, you know what? I know all about that. I I did years about this with my my psychiatrist when I was a kid talking about the fight or flight, how it works with the body, and how it releases. So I thought, right, you can't fake it, can you? You can't fake a fight or flight scenario. You're either in that situation or you're not. So, for instance, let's say there's 500 kilo on the deck there. Pick that up. What fuck off? Sorry. (laughs) I'm I'm going to pick that up. No, I would have said fuck off. Let's say you annoyed me. I smashed this table. got a gun out. Put a gun to your head. Pick that 500 kilo up. Uh, You've got a good chance then, haven't you? Or, or I'm pointing the gun at Niall said, if I'm, this is your kid here, go yes. pick it up. Like, yes. You know, that's, yeah. so, yeah. Is this, this, this links to like the, two, the caveman brain? Because yes. like, in, in those times, it's the fight of like, you're going to get eaten by a lion. Yeah. Or you're going to escape or kill it. Do exactly you know what I mean? It's that. like putting yourself in that situation. So... I worked with a psychologist and a hypnotherapist for months talking about scenarios, horrible scenarios, nice scenarios, angry scenarios, love scenarios. And we eventually talked about, it was, it was really, really horrible to do actually, but we talked about a situation where I created this character in my head. And this character was doing very nasty things to my children. Mm-hmm. And the only way that... I could sort of stop this was to put my brain in that situation and rip this character out of that situation and and basically kill them. So we got it to a point where I got pinch points in the back of my hand. And I remember in the, I was I locked myself in a disabled toilet before the lift in the back of the arena. And I'm just staring at myself in this mirror, just nothing, nothing. You know, I've got a couple of pals in my ear just telling me how great I am and, you know, I can walk on water and whatever else. And I just remember staring into this mirror and I just created this character. I turned myself into this devil and I was just, 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 just again, like, like that flick switch moment. I just had that click, just like, ding, like, right. Turn left, kicked the door off the hinges, walked out to the arena. Got my suit on, got my straps on. Got my suit on, got my straps on, got all my mouth guarding, walked into the bar looked at the bar and I looked up and I just saw the referee and this wasn't intentional and the referee was there he was a pal of mine Dave Warner and I just stared at this Dave Warner and I just twisted my head and just looked at him like I wanted to kill him and I turned Dave into this devil into this person that was going to hurt my children all right Dave became <laughs> and I just it just set me and I just clicked and I just went right that's it strapped onto the bar forward backward and just before I lifted I closed my eyes and I envisioned that devil 
being in the room and I'm ripping this devil to bits and I'm just, and I lifted it so easy. Yeah, you did. So I, I've easy. watched it. Yeah. It was that fight or flight scenario. The adrenaline that was going through my body was unreal. I cannot describe Oh the feels that went through my body. I've got it now. And I just woke up at the top of the lift, like, boom, where am I? Put it down. Blood was gushing out my face, like absolutely gushing out. Uh, they took the top off, took my suit off. I went unconscious. I was convulsing, so I was very, like, in and out of consciousness, sort of, like, twitching in their arms. And anyway, I came to, um, did my little speech to camera, and then backstage, boom, out paramedics on me unconscious brought me round can't see lost my vision all can see is like perif peripheral all round you know that black like arc eye they're doing my heart rate unreadable so it was well over the 200 beats per minute my blood pressure was unreadable my um they put the ecgs on me at this point i've got blood coming out my eyes my ears my nose it's just gushing out mm -hmm. um they're doing the ecg and they can't get a reading. And I remember just lying there, just in and out of consciousness, and it's like, oh, we'll do it again. Another reading, oh, it's uh, the, the kit's malfunctioning. You know, by the fourth or fifth time, a paramedic can't get a reading on your heart, there's something wrong. <laughs> Got issues here, yeah. So, oh, anyway. Let's get going. So I'm just on, on the bed, and I'm just like, right, get off me, leave me alone now. And I just slept for about an hour. Did you? Just slept, just completely, just boom, just gone. Couple hours in, I woke up completely fine. You know, just woke up, bit grab, bit drowsy, and did my meet and greet with the crowd. And then the next day, I drive home or go to drive home, and I can't drive my car. I, f I can't work the controls. I can't work the steering. And basically, the the bleed on my brain had just caused the symptoms of concussion. So I couldn't remember things. I couldn't remember how to function. I couldn't remember how to like. I, you know, I'd left loads of stuff in my room, and I had to get someone to come and drive my car back home. Next day was my son's birthday party. And um, I just remember I couldn't remember people. And I'm having conversations with people apparently several times. And I can't, you know, who's that there? Ed, that's your brother, you know? Who's this here? That's your best <laughs> mate. And it's like, Jesus Christ, I need to go lie down, you know? It took about two or three weeks for me to recover physically and mentally from that lift. Like it, because when you get such a huge rush of adrenaline, it destroys your central nervous system like completely destroys it. My body was wrecked and my mind was even more wrecked. So so all of them symptoms were because of the state you created in the adrenaline rather than actually lifting half a ton off the floor. I think it's where where I where I messed up really was I did the lift. Obviously the huge blood you could see the blood. If you play it in slow motion the blood I've is seen it on the YouTube pouring yeah, yeah. out of my nose. And at the top of the lift, that's when I wake up at the top of the lift. If you've seen the footage, then when I start lifting, look into my eyes when I'm lifting the weights and look what color my eyes are because yeah. they change color. And I'm not just saying that. Look for yourself. Like, I'm not. My eyes are open, but I'm not in the arena. I am elsewhere. Yeah, I'm in that yeah. fight with that devil. I'd, I would say it's a that the person that's doing that lift in Lee's arena, which is just over here, is a completely different person to the one that's sat next to us now. It, it wasn't human. No, that's the that's the character you need to be in that film. Yes. <laughs> yeah. with, it, with, yeah. with all of that, and the following two weeks, it, was it worth it? Enjoy yeah, it. you know, I always get asked the question, Ed, was it worth it? Would you do it again? And I say, yeah, it was definitely worth it, but I would have added 10 kilos onto the bar. <laughs> <laughs> that's my only regret. 
That is my only regret. He's literally risking his life. Again, is it still the world record? Yeah, four years on. The closest to it is 474. So four years on and we're still 26 kilo off the world record. Off someone beating me. And you could have had another 10. Well, you should watch him take it off. No, I've seen it. I I don't know anything about weights, but it looks like you could... You just lift it straight up. You know, you watch deadlifting where people struggle and they're bouncing on the shins and things. But he just goes, boom, bang. It's a quick lift. It was easy. Yeah, yeah. It was easy. And I don't even think that was the, the that wasn't the strongest Eddie Hall and that wasn't a prime Eddie Hall. Prime Eddie Hall was World's Strongest Man 2017. Yeah. And who who knows what I could have lifted had I had done that scenario in 17. I would say I remember being asked the question the day I won the World's Strongest Man, because the day I won I pulled four seventy four as quick as you can stand up out of that chair. Yeah. And they asked me, oh, what do you think you could have pulled today? And I was like, honestly, like five thirty, five forty. No problem, like kilo. I was so the the year that day I won that world strongest man. There was no doubt in my mind. I was the strongest man on the planet that day. Yeah, there was no doubt. Pressing, yeah. moving, shoulder press, whatever. No one could deny it either. No one could argue that. I out deadlifted everyone. I out pressed everyone, and I out moved everyone. Oh, it was amazing, amazing sensation. And and from a uh, from a strength perspective, Eddie, have you you, you remind me of Ross Edgley with all these. Things you think, right, I'll do that. And he just swims and thinks, right, I'll tie a treat in myself. Have you yeah. got anything else planned for strength or are you done now? I did have a, a goal of going for the world record bench. Um, a, but, a bench press. Yes, yeah. but um, I've detached my bicep off the bone this side, wrestling with some WWE wrestlers in Florida <laughs> last year. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't laugh. So, that's uh, right. So that, I'm afraid that killed that dream. Right. That dream off. You know, having the world record deadlift and world record bench in both in one was... Um, something I wanted, but um, I think now I, I, I've sort of taken a big step back, yeah. big reality check, is that, you know, my size is my brand at the end of the day, and that's why I'm still as big and strong as I am. Yeah, yeah. The, beast the Beast is my brand. You know, that's why I'm always on the, on the screens, that's why I'm being booked for presenting and TV shows all the time. And I love being big and strong. Yeah. I absolutely love it. But in terms of, like, chasing strength goals, I've had to tell myself no. That's it. Walk away. You know, yeah, you're gonna yeah. put yourself in a wheelchair if you carry on. So yeah, yeah. Well, what about, about a backflip on that? Ah, oh, yeah. Channel? That's, I mean, that's probably there. just as dangerous. But yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just uh, I'll, I'll hand over to you to go down over. What a, what an amazing conversation! It's been sensational to talk to you, Eddie. I truly inspirational and emotional I've just been through every emotion uh, listening to you talking I, and thank you so much for sharing no and, thank you uh, thanks sharing for having with, me with me and Niall yeah. just awesome so good make sure you follow Eddie I'm sure you probably yeah, are yeah. You know, there's not one of you that Eddie honestly you, yeah, you have to I would highly recommend the YouTube videos so I just got obsessed with Eddie's YouTube videos oh, the last man. seven days they're just incredible so I would highly recommend that it's in, can't wait for the film thank you yeah. Right, let's go to the gym, mate. Let's go to the gym. Let's get it. See you later, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. See you later. Bye.